Welcome to the Spiritual Warfare Network Podcast, the training ground for warriors in Christ who are ready to walk in their God-given power and authority. Apostle DeCoy Green is about to equip you with kingdom strategies and teach you how to strategically pray and effectively engage the enemy in spiritual warfare. Now let's get into today's teaching. Good evening, good evening everyone. This is Apostle DeCoy Green, the founder of of Upper Room Kingdom. I greet you all in the precious name of Jesus. Welcome you to our weekly Bible study. I greet those who are watching live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Periscope. Those who tune in for the first time, uh, even listening to a broadcast or replay. Again, I know something we said tonight that should have a great impact on your life. So welcome you again to our Bible study. Amen. So I'm going to open up in prayer and we're going to jump on into the word of God. Father God, we come now, we're giving him glory, we're giving him honor, we're giving him praise. We thank you, God, for this day that you have made. We shall rejoice and be glad. And we thank you, God, for your word uh, that's going to go forth on today. We declare, oh God, that it's going to take root in the lives of these, your people, that they're going to apply it to their lives. In the name of Jesus, I come against any seeds in your try to sow to try to snatch this word that will try to uh, block them from receiving this word, oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for continuing to uh, speak to me and speak through me, oh God, that I may speak with boldness, uh, with power and authority, oh God. You be glorified. You be lifted up during this time, oh God. We praise, we glorify your name now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Good evening, good evening to you all. All right, so uh, last week, uh, we were on part uh, part seven of our, our series, Destroying Evil Altars. Uh, and then we talked about removing hidden altars on the heart. So we talked about how they can be altars that can be set up on your heart, uh, on your soul, your mind, et cetera. Uh, the, these altars uh, uh, that, that, that can be hidden. And the enemy may start it by sowing a seed. Uh, but if, but if, that, if that seed begins to take root, then, then it, it, it will begin to, to grow bigger. And then an altar, an evil altar can be formed on the heart. And we can use those altars, those hidden evil altars on the heart to uh, make sacrifices or to snatch uh, the very harvest that you sowed seeds for. Uh, and so, uh, and we talked about, uh, you know, the, 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 the altars on the heart and how um, if, if it goes unnoticed, we talked about Cain and, Cain and Abel, how Cain had an altar on his heart. It was started as a seed and the Lord warned him out pretty much Sin is crouching at the door, waiting for an opportunity to pounce on you, waiting for an opportunity to be ruler over you. But you have to be a ruler over it before it becomes a ruler over you, or you have to master it before it masters you. Uh, and he, we know he killed his brother Abel, and we know that that altar is beginning to grow more uh, because again, it's 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 it's, it's ulterior motive. So so the Lord he searches the hearts. What's the motive? What's what's our what what's the reason we praise him? What's the reason we serve him? And if there's ulterior motives, if, there, if there's wrong heart motives. The enemy can use that as a legal right to steal uh, uh, or to make sacrifices on your own heart uh, unto the enemy unknowingly. And so it's important to ask the Lord to search our hearts if there's anything hidden, if there's anything that's not of him to search our hearts and then to remove it. Because again, if those seeds goes unnoticed and, and those those and then and and then that root or that seed begins to grow and grow and grow, uh, then like I said, an, an evil altar can be formed. The enemy can literally form uh, an evil altar on the heart to legally snatch your your harvest, to legally, to legally snatch, and then the Lord will reject uh, certain sacrifices if the heart motive is wrong, if there's an evil altar, a hidden evil altar on the heart. So we were exposing it uh, so that 
uh, we can get to the root of it so it can be uprooted so that the enemy cannot use that uh, as an access point to us. Amen. So today we're going to continue with part eight. We're going to continue on uh, removing hidden evil altars on the heart because it's very important to grasp this uh, as we make the transition and shift to uh, uh, to the rest of this series and, and, and getting deeper into um, uh, evil altars and, and uprooting them and, and, and how they operate in, in some different capacities. Right. And so again, so understand that uh, the enemy can use altars that have been erected on the heart to legally steal from you. Legally. So the heart is a part of the soul. And if the soul is wounded, then the enemy can use it to try to uh, create issues in your life. And so a wounded soul can cause you to work out of character. A wounded soul can reject the very things from God. So your soul plays a very important role in your life. And your soul serves as that middleman, right? It's the middleman between your spirit and the flesh. And so every day your soul has to make that choice. Am I going to go with the flesh or am I going to go with spirit? Right. Of course, we know it's supposed to obey the spirit, our spirit, but it's not always that simple, of course, because if the soul is wounded, then the soul may think that it's protecting you. But really, it's hurting you because it is also preventing certain things from God to get to you. So the soul also has to be healed. Right. And so understand is that the body or the flesh is world conscious. It's only concerned about the things of the world. The soul is self-conscious. It's only concerned about the things of itself. The spirit, your spirit, the real you, is God conscious. It's only concerned about the things of God. So here you have the flesh, it's world conscious, concerned about the things of the world. It wants the things of the world. It, it, it has a, a pull toward the things of the world. That's why, this, why the enemy tries to prey on the flesh. And then the soul is self-conscious. It's concerned about the things of itself. It's concerned about self-preservation, protecting itself so to speak. That's why if it's wounded, it's thinking it's protecting you, but it's really not. It's really hurting you in the long run. Or it's keeping those wounds going. And then the spirit, your spirit, the real you, which is the breath of God that was blew into this body, is your spirit. And that's how the soul was created. The real you, which is spirit, is God conscious. It's only concerned about the things of God. Hence why we need to feed our spirit. We should feed our spirit even more than we feed the flesh. Right? And so, so our spirit is perfect within itself, but our soul and body are not. So that's why the soul must be saved and cleansed daily so that it doesn't reject what is coming from our spirit, the real us. So when the heart has an unhealthy and unholy altar on it, the enemy can offer up their own sacrifices and cause a person to go deeper into sin or cause a person to go deeper into bondage. And later in this series, we'll get into uh, uh, some of what that looks like, uh, that type of soul bondage. And how the enemy can imprison the soul. And so we'll get into that again later in the series. So again, when the heart has an unhealthy and unholy altar on it, the enemy can offer up their own sacrifices and cause a person to go deeper into sin, deeper into bondage. Now imagine that, an evil altar on your heart, a hidden evil altar that you know of, the enemy knows that it's there through seeds that was planted and, and began to grow and take root. And now the enemy can literally say, well, I can offer up a sacrifice on your behalf unto Satan because, they took the, because they're taking certain uh, control of certain areas in your life. Think about that. They can do this, again, because they, they've taken certain control of certain areas in your life. 
So, so if they take certain control, certain areas of your life, now they're controlling that area. They're controlling that part of your soul. And so just like a witch or a warlock can put a piece of their soul in a person, can put a piece of their soul in a person and control that piece that they put in that person and manipulate and control, et cetera, this person, certain area in this person's life, witchcraft manipulation. That's where you get even soul ties. But they can use this 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 uh, uh, piece of their soul that they put in an individual and control that piece of the soul. And so the same concept, if there's if there's an altar on the heart, an evil altar, because we have godly altars, but if there's an evil altar on the heart, the enemy can literally come and make a sacrifice on your behalf, in your name, unto the enemy, because they have access or control in certain areas in your life. And that's why I must be broken. That's why I must be destroyed. All right, let's go to Jeremiah 17. Let's go to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17. Make sure on Facebook you're hitting the share button. Hit the share button, share it with your friends, your family on, on, on Periscope. Uh, swipe and share it with your followers. Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10. Okay, Jeremiah 75, 10, it says, Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. And this, this, this passage is packed with a lot. And so, so let's, let's take our time and go through it. So, so at this time, Jeremiah had to bring an unpopular message to a rebellious people. So here he is on assignment and he's bringing an unpopular message to a rebellious people. They're already turning, hearts already turned away from the Lord. Their hearts already turned away from the Lord. And here Jeremiah is coming, bring a message that they don't want to hear. And to make matters worse, there were false prophets and priests who were misleading the people to have them believe that everything was okay. It's fine. They're living in sin, but making them think everything is fine. Showing up every week like everything is fine. And some of you have been trapped in the religious system within the church that God never intended, that God never created, that religious system in the church to where 
You're coming week after week after week, but where's the transformation? Sinning, living in sin, people living deep in sin, no conviction, no transformation, no change, just doing church, just going through the motions. Because they're in that demonic cage, in that demonic system, and there's not, and the word is not pricking their heart. It's not bringing transformation because it's falling on deaf ears. So think about how many altars are on those hearts. How many evil altars are on those hearts? And so Jeremiah had to deliver this unpopular message to a rebellious people. And then all these false prophets were giving false hope in a sense of making them think everything's okay. Everything's fine. Yeah, you're living in sin. Yeah, you 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 participating idolatrous worship, but it's fine. It's fine. The Lord's looking all the way. Everything is fine. Making them comfortable. They were comfortable in sin. They got comfort in their comfort. They got comfortable in it. And so God had sent other prophets continuously in the house of Israel and to Judah. They would not listen. That's a hard heart. That, that's definitely altars on the heart. Even Jeremiah's own family tried to get him to stop prophesying. Tried to get him to stop because it was not popular. Because it was not popular. But Jeremiah knew that God called him. You have to understand that God called you. And sometimes you have to deliver an unpopular message. Sometimes you got to do some things that's unpopular. But being obedient to the will of God because he's looking at your heart. Are you being obedient to what I'm telling you to do? Are you being obedient to the direction I'm sending you in? And there's no such thing as partial obedience. It's still disobedience. There's some people who are doing parts of the will of God for their life. But they're living a double life. There's a whole other part of their life that's not of God. That's not bringing glory to God. So, 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 so you follow me here. And so, and so again, then to make matters worse, his own family was coming up against him. Some of you, your own family have turned on you because of what you're walking in, because of what you're carrying. But don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Remember, we talk about evil altars. For many of you, your own family is turning on you and saying, well, you need to stop all that, all that praying, all that warring, getting into all that stuff. And you just need to stop it. Why are they telling you this? Because it's the very evil altars and we'll get into family altars. It's the very evil altars that's been on your bloodline. That's been for generation, generation that are now speaking up that, and, and, and they've been put on those evil altars. And now those those witchcraft uh, uh, curses are now being used against them to try to get them to turn on you. Those are evil family altars. Well, that's a whole nother lesson, but we'll get into it. And so those family altars are causing your own family for some of you to turn on you, to call you crazy. You too deep. They don't require all of that. You're, you're doing too much. God is a simple God. It doesn't take all of that. It's too, you're doing, you're doing too much. You're going too deep. You're going too deep in all of that. Just serve the Lord. Love the Lord. But I guarantee when that fire gets turned up on them, who they're going to be looking to? And the enemy don't even have to turn a fire up on some of them because they're in that cage. The enemy, like I said, they're not even a threat to the enemy. They're not even a threat to the enemy. So they continue to live in their cage of comfort. And that's why you can't look at, at other people and begin to compare yourself to other people. Please hear me very carefully. There are many people who's been trapped 
in a demonic cage in the in the religious church system, not the not the church that God ordained, the the, the, the man-made stuff that they started putting within the church, and they're living comfortably. Many of them are living comfortably. And 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 the aim is always trying to mock you. Say, see, look how them they're married, they got this, they got this going for them, et cetera, et cetera. But they're comfortable and they're no threat to the enemy, and they're not necessarily establishing the kingdom of God. Hello, somebody, they're not necessarily establishing the kingdom of God. They're comfortable children of God, comfortable in a demonic cage, don't even know that they're in a demonic cage, and the enemy is laughing and saying, they're no threat to me, they're not causing any damage to my kingdom, they're not really establishing God's kingdom like that, so yeah, I'm not going to fight them with that, I'm not going to fight them when it comes to their marriage, I'm not going to fight them when it comes to their, their, their possessions, I'm not going to fight them when their finances that much, I'm not going to fight them like that, you know, I'll do some things here and there because they're a child of God, but they won't be to the level that where I'm coming at you, you who now is exposing the enemy, you who's now taking out the enemy, you who's now establishing God's kingdom, you who now is bringing light where there's darkness. Yeah, you are a far bigger threat. So that's why more attention is on you. There's been this, this myth, this lie going around that, oh, well, if, if you don't talk about demons, they're not going to mess with you. Well, who do you think created that lie? The enemy himself. Satan himself created that lie because he wants to keep people in that demonic cage. And the cage, as I tell you, is big enough till they're in a cage and don't know they, they're in a cage. It's big enough till they're still in bondage and don't know they're in bondage. It's big enough till they're slaves and don't know that they're slaves because it's so wide open. And so don't be fooled by that. Don't start looking at other people and judging where they are compared to where you are. And then now the enemy is trying to use you to feel that you're all, you know, what's the point? Or to make you try to quit because the enemy wants to get you to stop praying. The enemy wants you to go back to being status quo. Again, the enemy wants you to go back to being status quo. And you're not status quo. You are worried that God has called forth. You're breaking out and you're breaking forth. You're moving forward. Hello, somebody. And so, again, it was an unpopular message. It was an unpopular message. But Jeremiah still had to be obedient. Regardless of what family said, regardless of what friends said, regardless of what the false prophets were saying. So the false prophets were prophesying lies to make people feel good, to make them feel good. Whereas Jeremiah was prophesying the truth that was going to be able to set them free. Come out from your sin. God is not pleased with what's on your heart. That, that's what a prophet would do, not just prophesying all the good, wonderful, beautiful things. How am I prophesy all these good, wonderful things? Then I'm going to know the sin. And I'm going to know the sin in your life. Hello, somebody. And I'm not even going to get into that demonic glory, how some folks can get into an atmosphere and they begin to prophesy lies, even if they are a prophet of God. And then uh, uh, for the sake of itching ears, not prophesying truth, just prophesying good stuff, making people feel good, but ignoring the sin. Because guess what? You can prophesy all the good stuff you want. And those things may very well be true. But if there's sin and there's contamination in the camp and there's legal rights for the enemy to steal, then guess what? You're going to be frustrated. And one prophecy after another going to be passing you by. Because the enemy is still holding on to legal rights. So you have to understand legal rights and breaking those legal rights, breaking those legal rights of the enemy so that every past due prophecy will come due in your life. 
Because the moment that prophetic word was released, I guarantee you, warfare was was put on it. The moment that word was released, the enemy was doing everything to make sure that it did not come to pass. Hello, somebody. Trying to make sure it didn't come to pass. Hello, somebody. So I'm putting in perspective now. So don't shrink back. This is not the time to shrink back and throw in the towel. You've got to continue to pray and you got to continue to war until you see the results. Stop comparing to other people. Mostly you're comparing yourself to people who's living in a demonic cage. Hello, somebody. So, yes, the enemy is going to fight you harder because you have become a far greater threat. I just mentioned on the Warriors uh, prayer closet today. That 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 you've been following this ministry and you've been praying, you've been warring and been growing here. There's no way that just one witch is assigned to you anymore. There's no way this one warlock is assigned to you anymore. You have demonic witchcraft networks in operation against you. You have demonic troops that are coming against you. You have uh, uh, witchcraft networks all across the globe who's coming together to talk about you. It's it's not you are not a job for one witch or warlock or social anymore. It takes a team effort to even try to come up against you. It takes a Put it this way, your enemy respects you so much until it takes a demonic team effort to even attempt to approach you. They won't even attempt to come at you except to be except to be in a team. Are you catching what I'm saying? They won't even attempt to come at you except they come except they're rolling deep with a bunch of them. They none of them crazy enough to think they're gonna come at you one-on-one. They know it's a losing battle. So it's a team effort. It's a collective effort, but no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper because you know how to retaliate against the enemy. So follow me now. And so, so Jeremiah knew that God called him. And so sometimes those that God sends you out to deliver may reject you. Some that God sends you out to deliver may reject you. Timmy says, sometimes I feel inferior to, inferior to people. I don't like feeling that way. And that's just you simply waking up to your power. That's the enemy wants you to feel inferior to people based on what they have, based on position, based on titles. And not understanding what God has called you to, who God has called you to be. That's why the enemy wants to shut you up. The enemy wants to put a cage around you. The enemy wants to, 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 to hold you down so you don't ever rise up and walk in the power and authority that God has called you to walk into. Hello, somebody. And now watch this now. And so, again, sometimes those that God sends to you, sends you out to deliver, may very well reject you. And again, it's not them, but it's the demonic influence that, that, that that's popping up because you showed up. It's a demonic influence because you showed up. And so God made it clear in this passage that cursed be the man who puts their trust in man and makes flesh their arm. That simply means someone who makes their flesh their strength. There are some in, in, in this demonic system uh, uh, in, 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 that's, that's in the church, that's, that's not the church that God ordained it to be, who, who have, have turned it into a man-made thing, a man-made system, keeping people in bondage, creating slaves, creating people to pretty much worship the pastor, the apostle, the, the evangelist, the prophet, the teacher. Turning them into idols. Turning them into idols. And wanting people to be so glued to them, so attached to them, so they don't make a move unless it comes from the top. Trying to make them not be independent thinkers. Trying to keep you close enough till you don't leave. 
close enough. And then and then if God calls you another assignment to try to make you feel guilty or that you try to make you feel that like you miss God. So that's why you have to study for yourself. Seek God for yourself. Know God for yourself. Not making flesh your own. Not putting hope in man. But putting hope in God. All I'm doing is pushing you towards God. Push you toward a deeper relationship with God. Push you to, to walk in the power and authority that God has given to you so you can be effective what God has planted you. So you can be effective on your assignment. You could be effective on your job. You could be effective in your community. You could be effective in your neighborhood, in your city. To do what God has called you to do, what God has put in you to do. Your flesh can't be your strength because your flesh is what your enemy will prey on. Scripture says that the flesh is weak. It makes it clear that the flesh is weak. A person who claims to be strong, but trust in themselves alone, is really a weak person. And of course, deliverance is needed. And so there was a drought during this time. There was a drought because the people believed in other gods and mere humans. And so when disobedience is at work, we're like a bush in the desert, as this passage talk about. We're like a bush in the desert that cannot sense good coming along. It's scorched in the desert. That's all it knows. Disobedience to God scrambles your senses and makes you blind to what God is actually doing and causes you to accept a lie. It causes you to believe a lie. It causes for more deception to come in. So you got to obey God. And in verse 7 to 9, we see the rewards of obedience to God. You're blessed simply by trusting in God. Just by you trusting God, you're blessed. And I tell you, faith, faith is, when, you, when you're in faith, you're saying faith, it's saying that, Lord, I, I, I believe you, I trust you in all things, over all things, no matter what. Lord, I trust you in all things, over all things, no matter what. That's what it is to trust God. And you're blessed just by trusting God. Not giving lip service, but actually trusting him. Faith is the ability to trust God in not some things, but all things. And then you'll be like a tree planted by the water. You won't fear when heat comes. You won't, you won't fear when the enemy turns up the heat. You won't fear when the enemy tries to retaliate against you. Because you understand your firepower is greater than the enemy's firepower, and you know how to use your firepower. Hello? And you will understand the firepower. So how does fear affect how you respond to God and be obedient? Well, absolutely fear is going to affect that because fear is a spirit that, 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 that's, that's opposed to faith. That's opposed to trusting God. And without faith, the word of God says it's impossible to please God. So in scripture even says that which is not done from faith is sin. So not being in faith is sin by itself. The word of God clearly says that. That which is not from faith is sin. That's the word of God. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we can't even please God except we have faith. And so it's going to, infect, of course, it's going to affect your response to God because now you're looking through the lens of fear, not through the lens of faith. And so God can be saying, launch on to the deep, go here, do that. Then fear grips you. And then the enemy begins to talk you down 
why you shouldn't do it, give you all the reasons why you shouldn't do it, why you're going to look crazy. And then now you succumb to fear and it's caused you now to be disobedient to what God is saying, to what God is trying to show you. So it's going to it's going to impact your your entire life if you're living in fear, because, again, scripture clearly says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. That's a spirit. Love. That's a spirit. And a sound mind. That's spirit. But the one that's not of God is the fear. Right. And so we have to keep the faith in God and you won't fear when challenges come. You won't fear when the enemy comes. And like a roaring lion, when the enemy comes trying to devour you, when the enemy comes and bringing all that fire, you won't be fearful because you say, OK, good one, devil. Y'all tried me on that one. Good one. That was a y y y y y y that was real creative. Yeah, you you were creative on that boy. Devil, you was creative on that one. But I got something for you. I, I have something to counterattack that. Hello. Absolutely. That's where to, where to look at it. Fear is faith in the devil. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's part of altars on your heart. If that fear begins to build, then it's creating an altar on your heart. The more it stays there. And nicely, like I said, the enemy can use those altars on your heart to, to make sacrifice unto Satan on your behalf. You, you got to catch that. You got to understand the power of that. And so, uh, and, and so, and, and understand fear is not even the opposite of faith because fear is not even on the level of faith. Fear is just an enemy of your faith, but it's not the opposite. Just like Satan is not the opposite of God. That's a joke. Satan is not the opposite of God. He was a fallen angel. When he fought, he fought with, we fought with Michael. Uh, Michael and the archangels fought against Satan and those fallen angels. So Satan is not the opposite of God. That's a joke. That's laughable. And fear is not the opposite of faith. That's laughable. And so, again, you want fear because faith gives no room to fear. Now, it's not to say that the enemy won't try to put fear on you. And so you got to speak against that fear, declaring the word of God. Coming up against the spirit of fear. Hello? And so, and so if fear tries to pop up, your faith will attack it. You got to attack, attack it with your faith. Whatever lie the enemy is whispering, you have to replace it with the truth. And you say it and say it and keep saying it until you believe it. Because I understand. I know what that feeling is like when you're in it and you're saying it, but, but you're still not feeling it. You're still feeling that heaviness. You're still feeling that fear, anxiety. You keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it and declaring it until you believe it, until it sinks in, until it drives out that fear. Scripture even says that perfect love casts out all fear. Is love not a spirit? God is love. So perfect love casts out fear. It casts out that fear. The enemy's trying to bully you. The enemy's trying to push you around. The enemy's trying to shut your mouth up. Because you've been shutting their mouth up. Because you've been destroying their works. You've been messing with their plans. You've been messed with the plans they've been trying to do on your job, the plans they were trying to do in your neighborhood. You messed up the plans because the firepower that's coming out of your camp and the fire that's coming out, the witch and water can't fly over, over your home like they used to. So then now you're a problem. Now you're a problem. But it's just, again, it's, it's, it's a sign of who you are. It's a sign of who you are. And if someone lives in fear, yes, you got to cast that fear out, be delivered from that fear because it's a demonic spirit sent to keep you living below who you are in God. Fear is simply a demonic spirit among many others. 
who was sent to keep you living below who you are in God. Simple as that. Now, verse 9. Verse 9 says, and let us know that our heart, the heart, the physical heart, is deceitful above all things. Now, did God create your heart to be deceitful? No. He didn't create your heart to be deceitful, just like he didn't create the flesh to be sinful. But the flesh is weaker than the spirit. The flesh was never, ever, ever created to rule anything. The flesh was never created to lead anything. It's your spirit that came out of God that makes you the DNA of God that's supposed to be leading as you follow, as we follow the Holy Spirit. The flesh, again, is just a vehicle, a, a physical suit to legally drive your spirit around because of God's own laws. He said, okay, spirit in an earth, it needs a body. That's why Jesus couldn't uh, uh, enter the earth without a body because of the laws of God. So that's all this body is supposed to do. It drives your spirit around and, you, and it's not telling your spirit where to go. Your spirit is telling it where to go. Hello? So, so I'm putting it in perspective. And so, 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 so the heart, going back to altars on the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things. Why? Not because uh, uh, God created the heart to be deceitful. It's because you can't live off of your feelings. Because the feelings can blow with the wind. They can be honest one day and lie to you the next. Yes, your feelings matter, but you want to be led by them. It matters how you feel, but you want to be led by those feelings. You are never supposed to be led by how you feel. We are, we are led by the spirit. As many are, as are led by the spirit. He gave them the rights, us the rights to become children of God, to be to be adopted back into the family of God. We were never supposed to make decisions off of how we feel. Absolutely, feelings are subject to change. And if the soul is wounded, the soul can choose how it feels that day. Something that said it upset them, something that said it offended the soul, and then the soul said, no, don't do that. Don't go that, that way. Shut it down. And it may seem like the right thing to do, but is it the God thing to do? God never intended for you to be led by your feelings. He said we're led by Holy Spirit. So God searches the heart and only he truly knows the heart. This is why we're never to be led by our heart, but by our spirit. It's a shame that the very thing that we try to cast out of someone, someone else, is in us and we don't know it. That's why we need Holy Spirit to reveal, Lord, reveal any evil altars on any hidden evil altars on my heart. Because you didn't put the evil altar there. It's through sin. It's through disobedience. It's through even wounds in the soul that can create altars on the heart. Hidden altars on the heart. And that's why God cannot accept certain sacrifices that we may bring if there's those altars on the heart. That's what scripture says, leave your gift at the altar. You have an issue with your brother, your sister, leave the gift at the altar, get it right with them, and then bring your gift to the altar. He don't want that you harboring that anger and that rage and that bitterness and that unforgiveness because the enemy can use that to make altars on your heart. 
And again, forgiveness does not mean that you have to like the person, that you have to love the person. It doesn't mean that you have to be great friends with the person. But it means that whatever they did or whatever they didn't do, you're no longer going to let, let it have power and control in your life anymore. It's no longer going to affect your feelings, your emotions, how you respond, how you act. It's no longer going to hold you in bondage. See, unforgiveness doesn't hold that other person in bondage. It holds you in bondage. So, so, so again, Holy Spirit not only reveals the secret things of God, but he will also reveal the secret plans the enemy is plotting against you. He revealed the secret plans the enemy is plotting against you. And those altars that may be hidden on your heart. And so if your heart's departing from the Lord, this one, no, my heart's not departing from the Lord. I love the Lord. But sin causes your heart to depart from the Lord. And again, I mess with your theology. There's many people who will say, well, we sin every day. Every day you sin. Every day you're a sin. You're a sinner saved by grace. Absolutely, you are a sinner saved by grace. Scripture even says, be anger, but sin not. Anger, but sin not. He understands that emotion. But as a child of God, redeemed, washed in the blood of Jesus, there is no way that we should be sinning every day. No, no, you shouldn't have sin in your life. There shouldn't be sinning going on every day. Absolutely not. Not that that's some some false theology that's crept into the church, and 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 this false theology to, that that twisted the grace, this grace message that got twisted. Yes, we need God's grace. Lord knows we need His grace and His mercy. But grace, God's grace, is not a license to sin, not a license to know this. So I'm gonna go do this, and I'm gonna ask God for forgiveness. No, and then, or you try to be numb to it and ignore it, and then go go back and try to ask God for forgiveness later. That's not how grace operates. That's literally you taking advantage of God's grace. That's you literally, like, like, like you slap a God in the face. Well, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I'm about to go and do it. Then I'll come back and ask you for forgiveness later. That, that's not grace. That, that's taking God's grace for granted. It's taking it for granted completely. Now, here, now watch this now. So, no, you, you, you should not be sinning every day. People say, hey, you a sinner? Raise your hand. Everybody should raise their hand because everyone's a sinner. Nope. Nope. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner. I was a sinner who had been saved by grace through faith. I once was lost in sin. Now, have I sinned since I've been saved? Yes. But I'm not a sinner. You're not a sinner. That's a word curse. That's a word curse. That's false humility. That's not true humility. That's false humility. There's no way as a child of God we should be sinning every day. There should not be sin in our lives, sin in our camp every day. For the word of God, he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. You are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. So no, you're not a sinner. Stop calling yourself that. Stop labeling yourself that. You are the righteousness of God. That's who you are. So we got we to gotta get this all this jacked up uh, 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 mindset out the way. That, that creep into the church that was never the original intent of God. You are not a sinner. Stop calling yourself a sinner. Stop saying you're a sinner. That's a word curse. And he said, yep, you're a sinner. Yep, keep saying that. No, yes, the scripture even says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have, not all will continue to fall short. Not you will continue to keep sinning. Jesus was our model, right or wrong? 
Did he have sin in his life? No. Did he get angry? Yeah. He overturned some tables. He got smart. He was small in the mouth with some of the Pharisees who were trying to trap him. I mean, he was gangster. He was radical. But he also walked in radical love. He, he fulfilled the will of God. Did he have flesh moments? Yes. Some folks say, oh, that's blasphemy. Jesus never had flesh moments. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. When he overturned them tables, that was a flesh moment. He was angry with the foolishness that was going on in the temple of God. God got angry when he was about to destroy all the children of Israel and tell Moses pleaded for them. Jesus, when he was about to be crucified, he let Father let this cup pass from me. He knew what he had to do, but he didn't want to do it in the moment because the flesh did not want to feel the pain. He physically felt the pain. His spirit was good to reel him, but that, that flesh. He's like, I don't want to feel this pain. I know what crucifixion is like. I don't want to feel this pain. Father, let this cup pass from me. Can we do it another way? I know it's supposed to be the sacrificial lamb that's supposed to be slain for all to be saved, to give them the opportunity to be saved. Then the second time, Father, let this cup pass from me. Then finally, Father, let this cup pass. Oh, not my will, but your will be done. He shifted back in the spirit. He said, let's do this. It's time. So, yes, you may have fleshly moments. Yes, you may sin again. But it's not something you do every day. It's not something that's a part of your everyday life. No, that's that's a lie from the pits of hell. I am not a sinner. You will never hear me call myself a sinner. I will never acknowledge you as a sinner. You were once a sinner. But you don't continue to sin. Have you sinned? Yes. Might you sin again? Yes. But you're not sinning every day. We are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a life with no sin. And he is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters who would come after him. He said, this is how you do it. Follow me. This is how you live for me. How you live for God. It was some important. People always say, well, it's not like you're Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm not, I'm not perfect. That's your opinion. I am perfect. I'm perfect in, in God through Christ. You're perfect in God. I will happily say I'm perfect. I am perfect. I'm 100% perfect because I am the DNA of God. I'm the breath of God. I am spirit, not flesh. Your flesh can never be perfect. It was never intended to be perfect. It was never created to be perfect. So when people talk about they're not perfect, they talk about the flesh. They're glorifying the flesh. Nobody's perfect. Ain't nobody. I am. I'm the child of the most high God. I am, I am holy because he's holy. I'm the righteous God through Jesus Christ. I am perfect. Me, spirit, the breath of God is perfect because it came out of God. It's the DNA of God and God's DNA is perfect. The flesh is imperfect, absolutely. So they talk about not being perfect, they talk about the flesh. Well, I'm, I'm merely human. Well, no, you, you may be merely human, I'm spirit. I'm not, I'm not giving credit to something that I rule over. Well, we're humans. Jesus was human too, but he was more spirit. You're more spirit than you are flesh. So which one are you which one are you bending toward? Which one are you giving glory to? Which one are you feeding more? So you so it's about changing your mindset to who you actually are. The enemy knows this about you. But you got to know it about yourself. Let's go let's go to uh Leviticus. Leviticus 17 verses 10 to 11. Leviticus 17 Verses 10 to 11, when I say my spirit is perfect, 
That's you. That your spirit. That's the real you. The real you is not flesh. The real you is spirit. That's what's perfect. That's but that's you. That's who you are. Your spirit. When we die and go to heaven, the flesh is going back to the dirt where it came from. It's the spirit, the soul that's going to go to heaven. We died in Christ. It's already perfect. We just have to give it more room in our life. We have to give it more, more, more of a stage. Get the flesh out of the way. That's who you are. You are spirit. And when you look in the mirror, that flesh you see is not you. It's not you. That is not you. Regardless of the DNA, the physical DNA that's there, that's the physical DNA from your flesh. But the real you is spirit, which came out of God himself. He blew, blew the breath of life and man became a living being, a living soul. The breath that he blew into man was spirit. It was in him. It was a piece of him. He blew us into flesh. We originated in the heart of God. That's where we originated from. When, when, when Lucifer uh, stood over the heart of God, he saw us there. That's why when we came on earth, he's like, where did y'all come from? How did y'all get out of the heart of God? He didn't know about that intent of God. He didn't know that plan of God. You originated in the heart of God. You are part of God's heart. And you want to get to a place where you're praying from God's heart. Leviticus 17, verses 10 through 11, it says, And whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Life of the flesh. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So this passage dealt with the old law that was, was one was not to eat anything with blood, such as a piece of meat with blood. Uh, but under Christ, uh, uh, this law is no longer in effect. But the reason why they weren't allowed to eat any part of an animal with blood in it was because during that time, the blood of animals were used as a sacrifice unto God to atone for sins. We talked about this already. And so during that time, eating something with blood in it, similar to like a rear steak during that time, was forbidden because they were eating something they could literally that could literally atone for their sins. That could literally be, be, be raised up as an offering to make up for their sins. And so the life or soul of the flesh was in the blood. That's why we talk about how the blood speaks. Cain, uh, uh, Abel's blood spoke from the ground. And so it was only reserved at that time to make atonement for sins, which is to make amends for uh, uh, or to reconcile us back to God. That's what atonement was. It, it was to make amends or to reconcile us back to God, put us back and right stand with God. And of course, that was a foreshadowing of Christ's coming. It's the price that he ultimately paid for our sins to where there is no longer need for animal sacrifices. He won't accept animal sacrifices because the blood of Jesus was once and for all for us to now be able to come directly to the throne of God for ourselves. To repent for ourselves with Jesus being our mediator through his blood. So even if you get blood, a needle must still penetrate your skin and stick into your vein. So blood being shed always has a cost. Jesus paid the greatest cost, as we know, for his blood to be shed. Now we're the beneficiary of his blood transfer. 
you are the beneficiary of the blood transfer of Jesus Christ. You are part of the biggest blood transfer in history when you accept Jesus Christ. And so we see how important blood was from the beginning. If there's no blood in the physical body, the body would die. Some died uh, uh, not from the injury, but from too much loss of blood. And so that's why an individual or an animal can physically die to, again, loss to too much blood. So when enemy sends toxins in your life, you need to call forth the blood of Jesus so they can clean you inside and out to remove any altars that's on your heart. The blood of Jesus is able to rid your soul of things that don't belong there. The blood of Jesus is able to heal your soul from the, from the wound that was created from sin. So it's not enough to say I got Jesus and not, not utilizing what Jesus gave us. How do we say we have Jesus and we're not operating in the power and authority of Jesus Christ? You are the manifestation of Christ in this earth. You are Jesus Christ in the earth. He's duplicating himself in us. He rules and reigns in us. We're seated. Scripture says we are seated in Christ Jesus. Far above all principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, and high places. We are seated in Christ. He rules. He reigns in us. Scripture says in Colossians 3 that we've been clothed with Christ. We have put on Christ. He's in us. He rules. He reigns in us. That's why you are the literal manifestation of Jesus Christ in the earth. You are the manifestation of Christ in earth. You are Christ in this earth. So when you accept Christ, you now have access to all things that are of God. You get Holy Spirit. You get the authority of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. You get the blood of Jesus, fire of God. However, none of them will be able to effectively work in your life without you doing something. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. There's always laws in the heaven. Satan understands the rules of engagement. Satan understands the laws that governs heaven. He understands the laws of the realm of the spirit. So it would do us good to understand those laws as well. The blood of Jesus is what God sees when we repent of our sins. Right? That's what he sees. Because if he didn't see the blood, he, he, he would have to cover his eyes or he would take us out. Because he hates sin. He literally hates sin. That's why even Old Testament, he said, please, go, 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 turn away, cl cleanse yourself. I, I, I'm covering my eyes. He was pleading with the people, because if, if I remove the cover, my, my hands from my eyes, and I see the sin, I got to take it out. And so, put it in perspective now, so again, there's laws in heaven. And so, the blood of Jesus is what God sees when we repent of our sins. It keeps him from having to cover his eyes or take us out because now he sees the blood of Jesus. However, the blood of Jesus does not go to war for you and to work for you without your permission. See, some of the churches get caught up on the first part of the blood that covers it. And some folks, again, part of the demonic case and, and the enemy ignorance is Saying, well, I don't have to be worried concerned with no demons because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. I don't need to do no warfare because I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. Yes, that's pertaining to salvation. That's pertaining to repenting of your sins. That has nothing, to, that, 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 that's not going to stop a demon from attacking. 
I, I hate to break it to you. I hate to mess up your theology. Just because you covered in the blood of Jesus is not going to automatically present a, pre prevent a demon from attacking, pre prevent a witch, wall of a sorcerer from attacking. If they have a legal right. They can go around the blood legally. So therefore, you have to use the blood of Jesus as the weapon that it also is. It won't go to war unless you send the blood. You say, I send the blood of Jesus to uproot every demonic seed. I send the blood of Jesus into the enemy's camp who's working against me to destroy their plots, to destroy their plans. I send the blood of Jesus to speak against the enemy that's been trying to speak against me. The blood of Jesus is a weapon. You have to send the blood. Again, you have to understand that this is why the enemy has no problem attacking if they see the blood around you because they'll just go around it if they have a legal right. Demons are afraid of Jesus' blood when it's on you because it's not just when it's not just serving as a sin cleanser, but now when it becomes a weapon, now they're afraid. The blood of Jesus destroyed Satan's plans back then, and it still destroys it today when you use it, when you send it. I'm washed in the blood. Thank the Lord you're washed in the blood. That's salvation. That's why I say it all the time. Salvation is not the end. Too much of the church have got stuck at salvation. Have not went past that. Salvation is the beginning. Thank God. Very important because that's how we get back to heaven. Salvation. But it's the beginning, not the end. It begins at salvation. The work begins when you get saved. Not, oh, I'm saved now. I'm good. Thank the Lord. I'm just waiting. I'm just sitting, waiting to go back to heaven. I'll do, I'll do some nice things. I'll do some, a few things here, here and there. But I just want to live in my little comfort, my little little box, in my little cage, do a little nice things to make me feel better, to make my heart feel good. I'm just ready to get back to heaven. God didn't send you here to sit, to wait, to get back to heaven. God sent you here to bring his kingdom on earth. And sometimes you have to do it violently against the works of the enemy who don't want to get out your way. We can't, we can't bring light when there is darkness. That's what we do. That's part of our DNA. That's part of our responsibility. So it's, it's an honor. It's a privilege that he called us to do that. But we can't stay stuck at salvation. We can't get stuck at the milk of God's word. Hello? So we can't get stuck at the milk of God's word. So I said, what does it mean to do it violent? It, it means that if there's a demon witch warlock in your way and they're trying to stop you from pr pr going forward in God's advance, God's kingdom, you take them out. You move, you meet, move every obstacle out violently by force, by fire. We're not going to just sit back and wait for them and hope and try to pray them away. Please go. Please leave. No, you're going to go out of my way. God sent me on assignment and any witch, any warlock, any sorcerer, any demon that's in my way that's trying to prevent my progress will be eliminated. That's violently. That's doing it by that's taking it by force. Because there's some demons, some witches, warlocks, who's been in a territory in an area for a long, long, long time. And you are kidding yourself if you think they just, just go walk away without a fight. They, they don't have nothing to go to. They're they gonna put up a fight. But you're gonna wipe them out. And so, so again, we have to get past the, the milk of the word. The salvation message will never stop because there's still too many who's not saved. So we have to preach the word for those to become saved. But even, and I'm going to mess with your theology, it's going to mess you a little bit now. Even you think about all the New Testament, right? They, they were building the church. Apostle Paul is saying, I'm giving y'all milk because you can't handle the meat right now. And that's why we get revelation of the word of God. Of the word of God. That's why you get revelation of the word of God.
and that revelation, that deep revelation. Because the word of God, I'm, I'm messing with your theology right now. The word of God, we read the scripture. It builds our faith, right? But the word of God, just as it is right now, is milk. It's milk. It was intended to be milk. But it becomes meat as we study it. That's why the word of God said the word is alive. It's a living. The word of God is a living organism. But what's printed in those 66 books of the Bible is the milk. It's the milk. I'm going to say it again. It is the milk of the word of God. It's the milk of the kingdom of God. It's through studying it. Praying the scriptures, declaring the scriptures, and studying it, getting revelation on it, that we now begin to get meat. Deeper, Holy Spirit gives us deeper revelation. So now you're saved now. Let not, now let me show you how you look at this scripture. I'm going to show you a different angle to how you look at this scripture. I'm going to teach you something new about this scripture. I'm going to teach you something deeper about what this scripture actually means. I'm going to teach you something deeper what was going on during this very time when this was written. I'm going to give you deeper revelation of this very word of God. Ah, it's a lie. Now, I know most of you, probably, maybe none of you, have been told that the word of God is milk. We talk about the milk is word, but I'm telling you that it's the milk. We ought to graduate from just the milk. And as you study it, you dig into it, Holy Spirit, to reveal to you. That's why you can go back to the same scripture over and over again and get more revelation and get deeper revelation. Because now you're going beyond the milk and now you're getting the meat. And some folk can't handle the meat and will start calling you crazy and talk about all oh, that false theology. That's not in the word. Because they haven't got no revelation past the 66 books. They haven't got no, re re no revelation past the milk. And I'm not against the milk. The milk is necessary. But you got a lot of milk churches that's continuing to teach milk and no one's really growing and getting the meat. But they've been used to the tradition and going to the motion and, keep, and they, many folks, but oh, I'm not growing here. I'm not growing. I, 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 I'm, I'm not growing. I don't know why I'm not growing. It. I'm not getting enough. Then you're going to get all the supplemental words, et cetera, to try to grow because you got to get past the milk. But you to yourself, there's some responsibility that you need to take the study word for yourself. Don't always depend on the pastor to teach you. What you learn, even what I'm teaching, you go back and you study. You go back and you study the scriptures for yourself and get revelation of the Holy Spirit revealed to you. That's why I tell you all the time, go back and listen to this word because you're not going to get it all in one sitting. Holy Spirit may reveal even more to you. So you're getting the meat and then he's giving you more meat on top of the meat. So so, so I'm sorry I messed up your theology right there calling the word of God the milk. God's not offended. Trust me. Because Holy Spirit gives you the revelation, gives you the meat of the word of God. But we have to start with the milk. We grow a lot with the milk. We need the milk. We needed the milk. And everyone's a different place in their walk. For some, the milk become the milk is like meat when you first get started. But over time, then that 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 milk is going to become meat and more meat and more meat and more meat and more meat. And so, again, the blood truly does transform. And you say, Lord, I send the blood of Jesus into my soul. I send the blood of Jesus to remove any altars that's been evil altars that's been set up in my heart that I know nothing about. Expose it, remove it, so the enemy is not making sacrifices under Satan on my behalf. Think about that now. An altar on your heart, it can grow so big to the enemy, a witch will so she can literally say, Yeah, I'm gonna use this altar on their heart and I'm gonna make this sacrifice. I'm, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make this sacrifice under Satan in their name. Imagine enemy say, Yeah, I'm gonna make this sacrifice uh, in Kimberly's name. I'm gonna make it in and in, 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 in Andrea's name. Yeah, that, that's what I'm gonna do. Because I see the altar on their heart. 
No, you don't want to give him that type of access. Break those altars. Any altar, any hidden altars, Lord, reveal it. Holy Spirit, reveal any hidden evil altars that's been erected on my heart. Any, any ulterior false motives, any wrong heart motives, I ask you to remove it in the name of Jesus. Search my heart, oh God. If there's any way in me that's not of you, remove it. So when we accept Christ, we enter the blood covenant. And instead of physical circumcision, our hearts are circumcised and renewed unto God. Remember I said earlier that God didn't create your heart to be deceitful above all things, as the word of God said. It's through sin, it's through disobedience, it's through the enemy preying on it, and we biting the bait. So now our hearts are being circumcised, right? And so uh, verse 11 says how the blood makes atonement for the soul. It's placed upon the altar. Jesus' blood was shed for more than one reason. And one reason was to heal your soul and to keep your soul healed. And so a godly altar on your heart allows you to praise God from your heart. He knows the heart. He sees the heart. He searches the heart. And you can then make sacrifices unto God without saying a word. When you have godly altars even on your heart, you can make sacrifices unto God without even saying a word. Simply through what's on your heart. This is why I have wrong motives and unholy things on the heart. If it's not dealt with, the enemy can erect an altar right from the heart. And so we must serve God with every fiber of our being. Let's go to our last passage, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. And it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all Disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. Here we find Apostle Paul, he was defending his ministry. There were those who were attempting to discredit the ministry of Paul and the gospel of Jesus Christ that he preached. So instead, you know, opposition is going to come when you're doing the right thing, but you already have the victory. See, when we talk about the enemy, we're not talking about what they may be doing to us. We're not afraid of that because we know what we're going to do to them. If they try to come for us. So there's a confidence in that now. That's not all oh, the devil's beating on me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. No, you know what to do. You, you, you've been here long enough. Around this ministry long enough. You know what to do. It's just being persistent and consistent at it. Because again, demons will try to shake your foundation. Because they want to set up their own foundation. When Christ is your anchor, you won't be moved. But you're not, you're not just a survivor in Christ. You're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. <laughs> Bless me. And so, so this is another example showing us that it is not a flesh fight. But it's a spiritual fight. Our weapons are not of the world. Because worldly weapons cannot accomplish any war in the spirit. It can't. It cannot accomplish anything. In a spiritual war. What is a physical weapon going to do? Nothing. 
So don't try to beat demons at their game. They want to prey on your emotions. Don't fight them in your feelings. Fight them in your faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. And so in this passage, I'm talking about a stronghold. What is a stronghold? A demonic stronghold uh, is it, simply, uh, uh, it's, it's an incorrect thought pattern at, at, at its base point. The, 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 the simplest term, it's an incorrect thought pattern. It could be a simple seed that the enemy plants in our mind, and we believe it. We believe the lie. Even though it's a lie, we may believe it. He may convince us to believe it. However, based on our flesh, this flesh of the feelings, we may believe it. We may believe it for a period of time until we correct that thought pattern. With the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word will replace that incorrect thought pattern. So we have to cast down that stronghold. You must, and, and, and this is the simplest form. You renounce it. Cast it down in the spirit. I renounce that thought. I renounce it in Jesus' name. And so a stronghold in general is referred to as a castle, a fortress, or anything that was fortified. So in this passage, it was this passage, it was figuratively speaking of a fortified wall of defense. So the enemy put up this wall of defense. And this wall of defense in this particular passage was based on arguments and reasonings that philosophers and teachers used to attempt to discredit the word of God. They were so smart, they knew so much about the law, but yet they missed Christ. So they were trying to discredit the word of God. This was a spiritual issue. So with our spiritual weapons, we can pull down these strongholds. And so this passage paints a picture of how the enemy will attempt to build a stronghold or a wall around you and hide behind it while attempting to use this very wall as a defense or even an offense against followers of Christ. So we have to tear down those walls. And anything that tries to exalt itself above God or try to exalt itself above the will of God. Any thought pattern contrary to God's will is Satan's attempt to exalt himself above the truth of God's word. I'm going to say it again. Any thought pattern contrary to God's will is Satan's attempt to exalt himself above the truth of God and the truth of God's word. So you have to cast that down in Jesus' name. Every stronghold, you cast it down. You send a fire of God. You send, you send a heavenly host to break down those walls. And those incorrect thought patterns, those lies, replace it with the truth. No devil, that's a lie. This is what the word of God says. No, that's a lie. I am loved. No, that's a lie. I am important. No, that's a lie. I am powerful. That's a lie. I will not stay in this situation. That's a lie. I should not give up on this. So you have to tear down walls set up by the enemy. And you do it through prayer. You do it through the study of God's word. You do it through praise and worship. You do it through obedience. You do it through warfare. So you have the ability to demolish the strongholds, take captive, and punish disobedience in the spirit. You have that ability. Again, you have the ability to demolish strongholds, to take captive, and to punish disobedience. You have that ability. You have that ability. And the way you punish disobedience is simply through obedience. You punish sin simply through doing what's right. So again, you are royalty of God sent from heaven to rule on earth on his behalf. You are sent here on the behalf of God. That's why we are an ambassador of heaven. You represent heaven. 
You represent the kingdom of God here on this earth in this foreign land. The earth is not our home. You hear me say it all the time. The earth is not your home. It is your throne. It is the place you rule from. You are above the earth. You rank above the earth. You're supposed to rule in the earth. The earth is simply your throne where you rule from on behalf of God. As an ambassador of heaven, you represent God. You represent heaven. So you have to take your place. So you can build up, build up with your words or you can break down with your words. But use your words to build people up and to break down what the demons try to set up. And use those words to break down those evil altars on the heart, hidden altars that the enemy have made to try to set up on your heart. We have to take rulership. We have to take dominion. So we continue to advance God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. So that's all I have today. So, so the first call, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, look, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and Christ came and you may have life and that you may have life more abundantly. So if you have not accepted Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, this is your opportunity. This is your first time. You never accepted Christ. This is your opportunity. The, the God's arms is wide open. He wants you to come and be adopted and accepted back into the kingdom of God. And you, you're not saved, you can repeat after me, you're ready to accept Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And you rose again from the dead with all power in your hand. You ascended to be back in heaven with God the Father. I repent of my sins, known and unknown. Please forgive me, Father. Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to come into my heart. I want to belong to you and you belong to me. That's your first time saying that. We welcome you to the family of God. You are saved. It's that simple. It is that simple. And again, I say salvation. Now you have salvation, but that's just the beginning, not the end. Now you begin to begin to live for Christ. And I tell you, there's three phases. It's three phases. First, when you get saved, you learn about Christ. You need to learn the ways of Christ. You learn about Christ. Then the second phase is uh, uh, you begin to 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 do the works of Christ. You, that, that's what a lot of churches has been stuck at doing the works, trying to do the works of Christ. So you learn about Christ, try to do the things of Christ. But the third and the highest level, which he wants us all to, is that we become the manifestation of Christ in the earth, walking in the power and authority, doing the things of Christ in the earth. Amen. All right. And the second call, the second call is uh, uh, I'm talking to two types of people. Uh, you know, the first type is, you know, that this is home. You know that I'm your spiritual covering. I'm your pastor. I'm your leader. This is where you're growing. This is you being stretched. This is this is how you're being trained to be the warrior that God's called you. You know, this is home. You've been you've been putting it off long enough. And it's not about a physical wall. It's not about about being just in a building. You know, God called you to do great things. You know that this is home when you're getting trained and equipped to be effective in your kingdom assignment. And so that's you. That's the first type of partner. Uh, uh, you call it members, et cetera, but you call partners. That's the first part I'm talking about. If you know that I'm your pastor. I'm your spiritual coming. You hear the sound. You've been hearing the sound week after week after week coming out of my voice. You've been hearing it sound in your spirit. It's in bearing with, with your spirit. And you know this is home. And it's just simply saying, Lord. I'm a soldier linking up with other soldiers to be part of this army 
to carry out your will on earth. And if this is what he's leading you to be, you got to be led, led by the spirit. If this is what, what God is leading you to be, this is your home. This is your church home. And God is doing a new thing. Some of you are getting caught, but I want to go to a building tomorrow. I want to go to a building Sunday. God a new thing. Don't miss what God is doing in this hour. Because you talk about going back into a building. It's beyond just a building. Nothing wrong with the building by itself. But God is breaking you out of that box. He's opening your eyes to some things new that he's doing. So don't miss this move. And the second type of person is maybe you already have a church home. You have an assignment there. But I serve more as kind of like a mentor. You're getting supplemental work here. You're still yet growing. And I serve kind of more of a mentor. And that's the second type of partner we're talking about. And send an email uh, to membership at thecoregreen.org. That's membership at D-O-Q-U-O-I-G-R-E-E-N.org or info at thecoregreen.org. Either one is fine. That's membership at thecoregreen.org or info at thecoregreen.org. And also that's your first time accepting Christ. Uh, send an email to info at thecoregreen.org so you can get more information. Amen. So, Governor, yourself, Cody, you one of those individuals that fall into one of those two categories as partners of Upper Room Kingdom, and you know that's you, then make that step. Stop being doing it in your mind and your heart because, again, those who are connected, again, there's certain things that we also do that's just Upper Room Kingdom members and, and some things that we're releasing, preparing for this, this shift of God, this move of God. And so, um, that's why I say I know some of you call yourself partners, but you haven't got plugged in so you can get the other information. Amen. So govern yourselves with calling in the last call. If you know this is a good word, you sow back into it. You sow back into the ministry. You can help us by partnering with us financially by sowing seeds so that we can change to advance the gospel. Because everyone is not getting this word. You know it. I know it. Everyone is not hearing this word. Everyone is not getting this message. But you can help us to spread this gospel, to go far and wide with this word, to begin to, uh, in, in communities and cities all across the globe. And we need individuals like you to help to sow so that we can do that. Amen. So you go to decorgreen.org, go to the donate tab, and you sow whatever the Lord placed on your heart to sow. We talk about sacrificial offerings. Some of you never made a sacrificial offering, something that stretches you. So be led by the spirit, what he wants you to do. And so again, you go to decorgreen.org, Go to the donate tab and you sow what the Lord has placed in your heart to sow. And remember, never sow a casual seed. Write down what you want that seed to accomplish. What are you sowing this seed? What is it for? Name it. Write down how much you sowed, what you named it, and keep watering it through prayer until you see the manifestation of it. Keep watering until you see the manifestation of it. And you can sow, the, you can sow seeds and seed after seed after seed for the same thing because it'll be so much harvest the enemy can't grab all of it. Right. And so putting that in perspective. Amen. And so that's you again. Uh, be led by spirit on what he would have you to sow. Amen. So that's all we have tonight. So I'm going to close out in prayer. And of course, remember uh, tomorrow morning, uh, as usual, our, our 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, our Warriors Prayer Closet. Uh, where we got us together to pray and war. Father God, we come now. We come now to the end of this Bible study. We thank you for the word that went forth on tonight. We thank you, God, for the word that it went forth with power. I thank you, God, it is taking root in the lives of these, your people, oh God, that they will apply it to their lives, oh God, that they will uh, uh, continue to seek you to search their heart, oh God, that any evil altars that any have set up on their heart, oh God, let it be removed by fire. And my enemies, I send the blood of Jesus right now to uproot any seeds in me sold in their life. I send the blood of Jesus to cleanse their soul from, from sin. In the name of Jesus, I send the blood of Jesus to spoil the plans of the enemy against the lives of these, your people. I thank you, God, for strengthening, oh God, that their faith, oh God, 
will be increased. Increase their faith, their trust in you, oh God, in the mighty name of Jesus. And I declare you send your ministry angels now to minister unto them, oh God, that your peace, oh God, surpasses all understanding, shall come upon them, oh God. Let your glory come upon them in the mighty name of Jesus. I come against the spirit of retaliation of the enemy. I will try to come against it because of what's been exposed, because of what's been revealed. I send the heavenly host now in front of them. Their heavenly host to go in front of them to fight and do war on their behalf, oh God, be a wall of fire all around them in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare their families protected, oh God. We declare their families covered in the blood. We declare the wall of fires around their family now in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. We glorify your name now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, and amen. Remember, go back and listen to this word throughout the week so you can hear what Holy Spirit is, is else wants to reveal to you or to get it, rehearse it in your memory so it can take root in your life because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. As always, remember that you are the breath of God and God never wastes a breath. This is Apostle DeCore Green signing out. God bless you. Have a smile upon you. See you for prayer in the morning. Have a great rest of the evening. Good night. Warriors, thank you for tuning in to the Spiritual Warfare Network podcast and applying today's teaching. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow Apostle Green on social media.